Hello, I'm Alex and this is the Northern Guides to Happiness. Welcome to episode 16. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Andrea, Kath and Chris. How are we all? Hello, very well. Hi, thank you. fine. <laughs> all good. How is everybody? You all right? Yeah. I'm waiting for my runner beans to appear. <laughs> But it's a bit early yet. Oh. Tell us more about your runner beans, Kath. Well, there was the space in the garden and I thought I'd fill them with some runner beans. So I appropriated a few plants from a, a reliable source. Did you nick them from somebody else's garden? Is that what you're telling us? Not quite, no. No. <laughs> and uh, and I planted them and they're growing like the, is it Jack and the Beanstalk type, type thing? Yeah. Uh, I inadvertently planted them over the top of something else, so so the, <laughs> the corner that was very um, bare is now stuffed with with about four or five different varieties of plants, which uh, is gardening. That's what gardening is. So I'm watching my runner beans. Lovely. Well, we've got tomatoes growing oh. in our garden now. Little, oh. little teeny tiny tomatoes. Hopefully they'll go red. But they're just green at the minute. Well, don't eat the first one, apparently. The person I got the runner beans from says you should never eat the first tomato. Oh, why? I shall go back and find out why. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Is it bad luck? (laughs) It's something like that, yes. Could be an ancient superstition, couldn't it? From from Italy. (laughs) This is getting silly. Sounds very mysterious, very (laughs) mysterious. Well, we've uh, we've had the hot tub in the garden. (gasps) Get you. It's gone now. I was very sad when it went. but Was uh, it rented? <laughs> yeah, we borrowed it just for a weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> it was fabulous. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was it was almost too hot. We had to sort of turn the temperature down a little bit with all of the, uh, <laughs> all of the sunshine we've had. Oh, my, my goodness me. The bubbles. Oh, it was fabulous. I felt all relaxed. How did you get it into the house? It just comes came through the garage and the guy set it all up for us and uh, <gasps> ready to go. Yeah, it, it involves science. I had to put like chlorine and, and pH stuff in it as well. I, I couldn't <laughs> remember my pH scale, so I had to ask my 12-year-old. Uh, what's alkali and what's acid? I couldn't remember. Oh, well, that's a, that's so, a really uh, good good introduction to what we're going to be talking about, isn't it? Science. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Ah, see, what a segue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andrea, Andrea, how yeah. are you? I'm just, um, I actually probably need to um, leave this introduction and check my daughters because quite often they hang out of the bathroom window peering oh. over to our neighbour's backyard because they're so fascinated with their hot tub. <laughs> so every time they're in it, trying to have a glass of wine, enjoy the evening, my girls are hanging out of the house saying, why haven't we got a hot tub? <laughs> so, <laughs> so unfair. Get the violin out. I know, I know. Oh. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to check during the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I'd like to think that I would use one all the time if I had one, but I'm not sure whether mm. I would. I think, uh, yeah, the novelty of having it just for a few days was enough. I think. For sure. Well, weirdly, um, it was my sister-in-law's fiftieth birthday um, this this weekend, and uh, her mum, my mother-in-law, um, got a hot tub for the party, <laughs> but it was an inflatable one. Yeah, this was this was inflatable. Oh, okay. Yeah, it sounded yeah. like it was kind of like a solid thing. I had to get it through the garage. No, it's, it's kind of a, I like the idea of kind of a blow up hot tub. Yeah, yeah. Everybody should have one. 
why not? It's the it's the I think new paddling pool. <laughs> We've been through enough. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Covid owes us a hot tub each. <laughs> Get on it, Chris. <laughs> All right, I'll work out who to write to. Well, on that note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? I'm sure Dan will appreciate being uh, introduced to a, a conversation about hot tubs. But there you go. Um, <laughs> This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Dan Pye, who works at Kielder Observatory. But he's also in his happy place when he's in the recording studio doing voiceover work for all sorts of things. Adverts, continuity reels for Channel 4, video games. And more recently, he's just recorded the new voice for the communication device for Lost Voice Guy. So enough of me talking. Here's Dan. So, Dan, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Thank you for, for finally joining us. We had a few technical glitches at the start, but we've made it. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Would you mind just introducing yourself for me, Dan, just uh, for the listeners? Tell me a little of bit course. about yourself. Yeah, um, my name is Dan Pye. I'm the Director of Astronomy and Science Communication at the Kielder Observatory, which is, I think it's a fancy title for General Manager. I was going to say it sounds sounds very impressive. Can you fit that on a name badge? <laughs> no, I think we just we shortened as a I guess director of astronomy is usually the the shortened version. I think that sums it up. <laughs> it sounds very impressive. <laughs> so tell me about the observatory then. What's what's it all about? Uh, yeah, so the observatory is, um, well, it's now the only dark skies observatory in the country um, and, and certainly the largest by a considerable mile anyway. Um, we are a public outreach facility which specialises in astronomy and physics outreach education. Um, we've been doing it since 2008. So that's when we first opened. We were founded um, way back then by a small group of very enthusiastic amateur astronomers who wanted to create an environment where people could come to the national park and enjoy the skies under the uh, the inky black of our our night skies at Kielder. And, um, and since then, we've gone from just that tiny little voluntary-led uh, organisation to now uh, a, a we're, we're still operate as a charity, but we're a much, much larger organisation. We've got about 16 full-time members of staff and about the same in volunteers as well who regularly help us keep events running. Um, and we run events seven days a week, uh, all the way throughout the year. In fact, we only actually officially close for four days of the year over Christmas and New Year. But the rest of the time, we're open doing these events. Now, I love Kielder. It's, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you, but it is one of my favourite mm-hmm. places. Um, what is it about Kielder and the observatory which makes it so special, do you think? I think it's the uniqueness of the location. I think there's a lot of things going to it as well, though, um, because in terms of unique organisations, we're very different to a lot of other, um, I guess, astronomy organisations. We're quite a young team. I don't want to say that in that everybody else in the country who does astronomy is older, but it's just that um, I think because we're a young team, that does set us apart from a lot of other places that you visit to do with astronomy. Um, and uh, we're, we're all very young, enthusiastic on the night sky. Um, the, the setting of the observatory is very unique as well. We're overlooking the entirety of the Kielder Water um, and the Forest Park, quite high up at about 400 metres above sea level um it's a very unique looking building as well because it was originally designed as an arts project um 
and loads of different little sculptures around the park were getting funding at the time and ours was was one of those uh, uh, funded sculptures and it's supposed to look like a ship sailing off into the night sky which ah, kind of does like it's like nice. an astronomical yeah, arc yeah I like that yeah, yeah made entirely out of wood as well and instead of the conventional hemispherical domes that you see instead we've got um, wooden turrets square wooden turrets so this podcast is all about happiness and mm-hmm. you know there's something about just looking up at the night sky and you know I think people are fascinated by space and the universe you know that when you see programs on tv there's always a lot of interest around them do you think there's a connection with happiness and space and happiness and stargazing yeah definitely um I think uh, I think it's a very relaxing, very peaceful thing to do, and and just having that human experience of the connection with the rest of our universe as well. Obviously, we connect with things on a daily basis, more so vi- virtually nowadays, I guess. But when you go out there in the in the real world, just connecting with a bit of your environment, the trees, the wildlife, whatever it might be on Earth, is remarkable. And I think something that we overlook occasionally but then when you start to expand beyond our little tiny spaceship earth as many people may refer to it out there in the rest of the universe you've got these different points of time which you're looking at when you look up at the night sky and I think that's just an incredible thing to to find very peaceful very relaxing um, and almost in, in a sense some people find it very spiritual as well is that something you can relate to? Is it, you know, is you obviously work for the observatory. Is, is that something that brings you happiness then? Yeah, it does. Uh, for me, less of the stargazing, I think, um, more the being able to share the passion for astronomy that I have and stuff that I've loved for, for my entire life and um, seeing seeing the reaction on people's faces and um, hearing the way that people respond to to astronomy and and learning a little bit more about astronomy. When people are asking lots of questions during a talk, that's my happiest moment, I think, mm. when it's just a room filled with deadly silence. It's, it's, it can be quite... <laughs> quite Hard difficult to, uh, to yeah 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 whereas when people are asking questions and you can see that engagement their smiles coming back at you and I guess that's most occasions really is, is that's even on on drab nights that's generally the responses that we tend to get so yeah that's conveying astronomy is, is probably where my happiness is it must be quite a hard thing to convey it's, it's quite a complex subject isn't it space and the universe yes. how do you convey it in a simple way then it is really hard um yeah. and and it's <clears throat> i guess bringing out the stories and the romantic elements of it um and trying to put it in a way that isn't condescending but in a way that is simplified so you can start to find some commonality or some general understanding from it we try and build from the from the base up whenever we're doing talks as well some of the talks you can't get away from it unfortunately things like Mm. cosmology and um and such a a really complex topics although they can be very hand wavy and romanticized we can do that to a degree um but there is still an element of complexity in these things and a lot of the the way that we the, the way that we present is is done based on recruitment. Uh, we have to have the right people. We have to have people who can talk and communicate in a particular way and have that knowledge set, um, but have that passion which can carry them through a, a, a talk as well. I remember we, me and my husband, went up to the observatory years and years ago now, and I remember we turned up 
and it was just completely cloudy. You couldn't mm. see a thing. And we kind of turned up. There was a small group of us. And uh, the guy got the PowerPoint out and we were like, oh, no, not the PowerPoint. You know, we want to see real stuff. And it was as if he knew that, you know, by the time he got to the end of the PowerPoint, it would all be OK, because as soon as the PowerPoint finished, the skies just cleared. Oh, really? Um, and it was just like it was like, like it was meant to be. It was fabulous. It was great. Yeah. Oh, it was just such an amazing, amazing experience. Has there been any standout moments for you while being up at the observatory? Um, I think the the most standout moment was the very first time I saw the aurora from the observatory. Uh, that was that was a really incredible experience. Um, it was a great display as well, but it was just it was just such a, a magical experience. I guess I, I tend not to use that that phrase too too regularly. It's usually reserved for things <laughs> like Disneyland, but um, it was uh, yeah, it was certainly a magical experience to see these lights dancing across the sky was just unbelievable. That was really breathtaking, and the real depths of winter when you get a spectacularly clear night. Every one of those is is generally a, a, an incredible experience when we've got no moon in the sky and we've got this incredible vista of the Milky Way and we can see objects with the naked eye like Andromeda and, and all of these things. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think we when, when we were there, we saw the Andromeda galaxy and I think we, we also just sort of looked through the telescope at the moon and just looking at the moon, you just, through a proper telescope, like the detail was just incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the moon. The moon's always a winner. In fact, I, I love the moon being out because it, it's the first thing that I can remember actually seeing um, through a telescope when I was when I was uh, just a kid at a little public observatory near where we lived at the time. And it was, I still remember exactly how the moon looked through that. I mean, a, a lot of it might be slightly diluted, but I have this vision in my mind of what I remember it looking like. And it looks like exactly how we see it through the telescopes at Kielder. So hopefully the people who come to the observatory and see that for the first time have that same experience as well. So how did you get into all of this? When, when did you discover your, your passion for, you know, the, the stars and, and the space? Where, where did it all start? I was young, um, very young, probably about, I think I was in year five. From That's the earliest I can remember any encounter with astronomy. Um, mm -hmm. We were learning about it at school. I remember constructing a Hubble Space Telescope out of toilet rolls and nice various bits of shiny <laughs> paper and stuff and uh, <laughs> highly um, accurate <laughs> yeah yeah and writing a book i wrote a book on because we had to write these little papers and it was all tied together with this gold string and poly pockets and stuff um, and it was about constellations and how to find north and i think i was about nine at the time um which was it had a little when you opened it up you could tell I was a Star Trek fan at the time as well because when you opened it up it said space the final front ear but there was a picture of an ear uh, oh nice <laughs> and, uh, see what you did there yeah yeah um, so yeah I guess from then really is is my earliest memory of it and we went to that a public observatory near where we lived at the time in in West Yorkshire and looked at the uh, looked at the moon looked at Mars um, and and it it was just i guess something that that encapsulated me in in some profound way which i'm sure i could think of some fluffy words to attach to but um <laughs> it was really really uh at that point and then from there i i had a, a keen interest in in sci-fi um, anything to do with space i even had a subscription to a classic fm magazine which was music of the planets 
nice. back okay. then in the uh, in the mid nineties. And then, of course, Hubble was taking these incredible images as well. Things like the Eagle Nebula caught in ninety five um, was being published and publicised all over the TV. Patrick Moore was on the telly. Mm. Uh, Sagan was still hanging around until sadly he died in in the mid nineties. So I was I was exposed to quite a lot of of um, of astronomical outreach um, at quite a young age. And then I got lost somewhere along the line. Instead of going to study uh, astronomy, I didn't. I, I went and studied broadcast media and um, and TV and film production and uh, and theatre as well. Um, so now so you've touched on, you've touched on that. So yeah, you've you kind of do voiceover work, um, mm-hmm. and you know, in our pre-recording chat, you kind of talked about that being you know one of your happy places. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that then? Yeah, it is. Um, being being in the being in the vocal booth is something that that brings me a great deal of happiness, and I think it's a lot of that is the journey that's got me to this point as well. Um, I'm always very thankful of of the work that I get, um, and a lot of voice actors will say that, and we're always just very happy to be working because uh, it's <laughs> one of those very tidal industries, I guess. But yeah. um, certainly, the journey that that got me here was somewhat of a, a, a stumbling block. Um, and I don't want to give you war and peace on it, but I can share it with you if you like. <laughs> yeah, go for it, please. Um, yeah. So I, I um, used to work in, in commercial radio um, and about, in fact, it, it, I think it was about 10 years ago to last month, I was kind of shot uh, through the heart with some really difficult to digest uh, feedback. I'd worked in commercial radio for a little bit, period of time and um, prior to that um, community radio and uh, involvement with other broadcasting stuff as well and um, the the feedback at the time was from somebody who I really respected our commercial director and our managing director of the radio station group that I worked for and they said listen Dan you're really nasal um, you're never going to make it in uh, voiceover land so just just try something else instead just fo- focus on the commercial aspect focus on the script writing focus on the selling of the ads da 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 da, da. and so at that point because that was coming from such a, an influential person I, I just kind took that as a all right I'll give up then and walk away and that was very unlike me because I was very much defiant to a lot of people um, who would tell me I couldn't do something but at that time I'd just taken that as a oh well maybe this is the end and I had a new daughter and everything else had come along you know so I guess there was a lot of cards up in the air at the time and so I spent a few years doing that and um and, and and my voiceover career at that point hadn't really gone anywhere. The first encounter that I'd had from it was uh, voicing some adverts for Andromeda, the TV show on the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, but I didn't get also, that off merit of being a, a voice actor. There. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that off merit of being a voice actor. I ran across the time bridge in my underwear to get that job, so that was okay. a totally, totally different story. But um, beyond that, um, beyond that point of, of disappointment, if you like, I spent a few years licking my wounds almost, and um, I opened a cafe, which was a comic book and gaming cafe. Um, we started to do a lot of STEM outreach stuff in the cafe because a lot of it had that nice symbiotic relationship with uh, sci-fi and mythological stuff Um, and then we started to run events and we had a huge big stem element to the events that we ran i guess you could call them a comic-con style event um, but with an educational aspect hidden away within it and a very strong storyline associated with it as well 
Um, and we did those for a few years and they were very successful sellout events, I guess, if you wanted to call them successful on that basis. Then in my infinite madness, I decided to um, make an event which was the biggest event that we could possibly do. Um, so I booked the biggest venue that I could find, which was at the time the Stadium of Light in Sunderland. And it was a very miscalculated error, which I didn't really find out until later on. And the event, anyway, it didn't go very well. It wasn't as subscribed to as what we'd hoped to. We still ran a great event. It still had all the elements that we wanted to put into it. It still had the the educational vibe, very strong educational vibe. And um, uh, uh, it was just the, the, the a few other things which led to it not being as successful, mostly financially. Um, but one of the guests that we brought over for that event was a chap called Charles Martinet, who does the voice of... Um, Super Mario and has done for 25 years and various other voices within the within the same franchise and um, he said to me he said well Dan you clearly had a passion for voice acting and voiceover what what why did you give up and I couldn't give him a legitimate answer that wasn't riddled with excuses that I'd made up myself Um, and I kind of had that moment of realization of hang on a second actually yeah why, why did I give up? I made this happen. I made the cafe happen um, from literally nothing. We had nothing to start that whole experience with. So I thought, well, why not? Let's let's buy a microphone and uh, see how we get on. So I bought a, invested in a microphone um, and started making connections with people that I used to uh, know from radio days um, and started to kind of plod through the odd bits of work and um, then eventually when I found a, an identity that I was comfortable with, I guess things started to um, accelerate a little bit more from there. And some some things, there is some things which have been in the right place at the right time, for sure. But I think some sometimes being clear on what your identity is for me was was really crucial for, for the level of work that I currently get. I'd say, but I'm never expecting that to continue. You know, you always expect that everything's going to tumble down. Um, of course, of yeah. course, yes. <laughs> but about a year ago, I got to, um, sorry, 18 months ago, I got to um, voice a video game and it was just that experience of just going from having uh, a cafe which celebrated video games and, and this culture and then Mario and uh, inspiring me to go back and do voice work and now I'm voicing 10 characters in a triple a video game which is coming out later this year it was just an unbelievable experience was that and there's been many happy moments in voiceover land speaking on channel 4 on a regular basis during the during the tv programs and voicing the in-store commercials for asda and various other things i'm always happy when I'm in here in this room, even though it's quite warm today. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say uh, Mario having a bit of a word with you then was a bit of a turning point? 100%. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely the uh, the tipping point. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't yeah. If, if that hadn't have happened. And th- this is the kind of thing that I was just chatting about the other day, actually, is that that all of that disaster and the stress that was built up at that point turned into such a happy thing if it wasn't for the catastrophe of that event and and the circumstances that led up to that event, which was somewhat of a strange stumble as well, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I probably wouldn't be at the observatory. In fact, I wouldn't have taken that route. Um, who knows what could have been going on? So 
do you describe yourself as Geordie voiceover? Is that what you're, you're, you kind of uh, represent yourself as? Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> that's the one the the one phrase I guess you'd sum me up with is Geordie voiceover. A lot of people talk to me and say, "Dan, well, you don't sound that Geordie," and I'm like, "Yes, I know. <laughs> that's because this is my." Uh, I guess I guess I was more Geordie and and I hate the word performance voice because it always sounds really cheesy and cliche <laughs> but um yeah I guess I I'm I'm not as Geordie as I once was and that's because when I left school I thought that the way that you had to speak was ironing out your accent and that's what I was told to do um and so I spent a lot of time trying to iron my accent out and then I ended up in this comfortable place where I had this hybrid of almost Yorkshire Geordie received pronunciation um and then uh, and then in later years when I started to realize that Geordie was was um was was my specialism that's where I've I've rested myself for now <laughs> And you're not the first person that I've come across that has, that has had that sort of experience where, you know, they've kind of been told you need to lose the accent, you know, which yeah. is just absolutely disgraceful <clears throat> behaviour. Um, because mm. you hear time and time again, I know you've talked about this a, a, a few times uh, with, with different people, you know, mm. there's something about the Geordie accent, isn't there? Um, yeah. That people find very warming. Yeah, it's very um, affable, very mm-hmm. very comforting. Um, it always scores really high in these... Uh, surveys of what what accents do you like across the uk oh everybody loves a geordie and um yeah i think so and it's interesting as well because there is no reason why you need hello i'm trying to sell you car insurance you don't need that why do you need that who, who made that recipe um is it the trustworthy vibe why wouldn't you trust some fella from down the street who's got the right qualifications um why does it have to be on accent yeah, we, we I do a lot of heritage talks and uh, we've, we've sort of been looking at some of the old archive film mm. footage in, in the uh, Yorkshire and Northeast Film Archive. And you, you watch these old film reels and they've got the, mm. the poshest accent. There's, there's not a Geordie accent among them when they're describing something here in the Northeast. Mm. It's just so bizarre when you watch these old sort of 1940s, 50s, 60s film reels. Um, you, you cannot hear a Geordie accent anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I guess there's a lot to be said for, well, um, if we've got a, a global approach or we've got a, a national approach, then we need somebody who we can understand. Um, but I think every every uh, accented speaker has a way of being able to communicate with people and as, uh, and and there's a way of making it understandable and still maintaining a bit of your accent without sounding mm-hmm. overly forced. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the the video game that uh, you, you've you've done the voice voices for. Have there been any other kind of standout moments for you, which um, you would say are, are particular happy moments in your career? Yeah, certainly the the video game was one of the highlights. The, uh, the I uh, was one of the continuity announcers for Channel Four for a while. Um, that was a a really great experience getting to speak between the the telly programs um was was very fun a lot of work a lot more work than people maybe give them credit for and i was doing that in between doing shifts at the observatory as well so i was going down to london then coming back doing shift to the observatory then going down to london and, and then backwards and forwards and it was just a bit uh, a bit chaos so i, I do that lesser now <laughs> but uh, also being able to voice the uh 
the replacement voice for Lost Voice Guy, the stand-up comedian who won Britain's Got Talent a few years ago. Recently, I re-recorded the, his, uh, his machine that he uses to communicate, and that was an incredible moment because in voiceover land, you're always creating these creatures or characters or portraying even a character in, a, in an advert, whatever that might be, whereas this is an actual human that I was mm. going to voice. This was totally different. This wasn't just a, a little robot that sits in the corner of your room. This was an actual person who's going to use my voice to become part of his identity. And that was the real uh, importance of it, was uh, Lee had this identity, which was a neutral accent. Graham, his, his uh, accented voice, whereas now what we've created for him is his own identity, his own local connection to his local accent um, by revoicing that in Geordie. So. I can't wait to hear it. It, it. it must... How did that feel, being involved in that? Oh, it was brilliant, yeah. I mean, being able... I don't think there's any words that can correctly describe the feeling at that point in time um, because it is an incredible honour. Um, Lee's an incredible talent... <clears throat> what he does I have unbelievable amounts of admiration for and being able to help him on that journey is just outstanding. And how did it work in terms of recording all of the words? How does that how does that work? Um, so you get locked in a box, um, which is generally the convention <laughs> with any voice work. Uh, um, and you're this, not allowed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're not allowed out until you've said the words. Um <laughs> And um, yeah, so it was just a collection of phrases, various different nonsensical phrases, which the machine then figures out the correct intonations, the correct um, words and phrases to use to create the sentences. And it makes it a lot more fluent that way, rather than just recording singular words. Instead, we're recording um, whole phrases uh, and then the software sorts that out. It's very clever. It does sound very clever. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Somewhat of a mystery to me, actually. I, tell you, yeah. I had it described to me and I still don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but any any kind of space-related stuff, you'd be absolutely fine. But uh... Yeah, well, to be honest, there's a lot of that I still don't get as well. <laughs> we speak the words um, and, and it all has relative meaning, especially when you're talking about things like quantum physics or, or uh, cosmology. I mean, even quantum physicists don't know what's going on, so... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. So happiness, mm -hmm. is is that something that you think much about or not really? Yeah, it is. In what sense is very difficult. I mean, I, I, I guess because I work so much, I uh, have lesser times to think about being happy. And work does make me happy. Sometimes mm -hmm. not so happy, but work mm -hmm. generally makes me happy. Being in the garden makes me happy. I love gardening. I have an allotment. I have chickens. Um, <gasps> that all makes me very happy. Um, for some strange reason, it never used to. I used to hate gardening. But then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, I just had this like click and I loved gardening. Um, and I think I we get to a certain age, it. don't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I got proper <laughs> stuck into it. And now, and now I've ended up with an allotment and all sorts. So Nice. Yeah. But I do. Yeah. I guess everybody's on that, on that journey for happiness. And I guess I see the way that I currently work my life as a way, as a route to more happiness further down the line. It's not like instantaneous. I don't wake up every day and go, I need to be happy today. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I want to be happy in the future. And so I'm making steps uh, every day to get me closer to that happiness in the future. 
um, provided I get there. I know that's a really weird way of looking at it, but you know. No, no, yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. So you've mentioned uh, your gardening and your chickens. What sorts of things bring you happiness then? And your work, of course. Yeah, work definitely does. Voice work certainly brings me happiness. Um, Always brings me happiness. Being part of a person's project or creative idea is amazing. Um, My garden makes me incredibly happy seeing plants grow. I think when you plant something so tiny and then suddenly you end up with this beautiful flower, it's just, it's still, I know how it works, but it's still a mystery to me. It's like, how does that happen? Why does that happen? Um, But it's incredible. Um, So that's, that's definitely a source of happiness and the peacefulness and the tranquility of being in the garden as well. Of course, my family makes me very happy and spending time with them. The time that I get to spend with them is, isn't, uh, huge. So any time that I get to spend with them is is incredible. Particularly when we go to incredible places like Disneyland and Disney World. I am my happiest mm. when I'm in an immersive environment. Really. Um, well, you can't get more immersive than Disneyland. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that that has always been my key. If you could think of a mantra, or if I could think of a mantra, kind of solution for my end goal was to always create an immersive environment for anybody that I came into contact with. I thought that was the cafe and I thought that was the event. And so we tried to make those immersive. We tried to make them engaging and that didn't work so much. Um, The voice work, I try and make every interaction that I get immersive and engaging. And the observatory has become about creating an immersive and engaging environment rather than just we stand there and show people stars and we talk to people about things. Now it's a theatrical experience. You've been pulled into this little world of experience. Um, Mm. And everything that I do, that is my absolute core that's at the core of everything I do I want to just take people out of their place that they're in right now and put them in this fantastical world or put them in this imaginary world or put them in this state of happiness and so going to places like Disney like Universal and being able to see that on such scale is just fantastic so we're kind of coming to the end of the interview now Dan I think and Mm. you know we're kind of asking people that we talk to whether they've got any any pearls of wisdom any hints or tips or recommendations you know that, that you've kind of picked up along the way to sort of help maintain positive mental well-being is there anything that you can pass on to our listeners yeah that's interesting i would never see myself as some kind of guru um <laughs> and i always i always struggle to uh, to to give ad- advice on this on this level but um, because i think it's something that i've always struggled with as well is trying to maintain that Positive mm-hmm. mental attitude is such a difficult thing to do. For me, I think it's always been about momentum, trying to develop some form of momentum and just stumbling over the blocks that get in your way and being defiant to that by just... I, I like to think of it, and, and somebody quite nicely put it to me at one point, which that it's like riding a horse or riding a horse during a race you're running down the track and you might stumble and fall off the horse a little bit but then you don't just walk away from the horse you go back to the horse you nurture it you get back on it and you ride it some more to get to your destination whatever that might be and I think just being completely mentally aware of that all of the time really really helps me is just trying to maintain that vision of the future and that vision of what can be and that vision of what could be 
uh, later down the line instead of dwelling on what's really happening right now or what's happened in the past that vision of constantly looking forward for me has been what's given me that attitude anyway so <laughs> fabulous dan well mm. it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this afternoon um, oh, thank you alex yeah and, and hearing all about the observatory and you know the exciting stuff you're doing with your voiceover work is there anything that you want to to mention at this point before we finish I don't think so. You can buy the video game that I'm uh, in later this year. It's always a plug. <laughs> it's called Lost in Random. It's from uh, EA Originals um, and a, a company called Zoink, um, which is an incredible video game about a girl and her dice. <laughs> mm, sounds intriguing. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for your time. It's no worries, been a real thank pleasure. You. Thanks, thank Alex. So that was Dan. What did people think? Oh, this was so nice to listen to. Just so nice. Yeah. And it was it was really strange that it had so many echoes to Mark's last last time because of this idea of where you think your career's going isn't really where your career's going. So in in my in my conscious mind, I was thinking about Kielder and the observatory and the planet, you know, looking at the stars and all this. And then it went off into such a, a fantastic range of subjects after that that I was uh, I was quite blown away by the whole thing. <laughs> it was great, and the and the the voice, the the artificial voice. That is amazing, just amazing. Mm. So yeah, absolutely great. I, I loved how uh, it was uh, Super Mario that gave him a good talking to about, uh, you know, where's your career going? <laughs> what do you want to do? <laughs> Careers advice from Mario, marriage guidance from Pac-Man. What's yeah. next? You know, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, what did you think? I loved it as well. And I, I had Mark in my mind too, and I was listening to it. And I just loved this idea that he articulated at the end about how he's on a journey to construct happiness um mm. I, I just thought that was really excellent and just just thinking about kind of immersive experiences as well and um yeah again I was thinking about Kielder it's kind of otherworldly up there you know you can go there and, and not see a soul as we did a few weeks ago but I was also thinking of being in a kid and sort of lying in my back garden and normally see the kind of flight path from Heathrow. But one night <laughs> seeing like these amazing shooting stars in the sky and just being immersed in that being spectacular. So I think, again, he kind of really vividly conjured some mm. of, I guess, the special moments for him um, in the in that job, but also kind of ideas of wonder as well about kind of how a seed grows into a plant and I did I could just really relate to that and this idea about these moments constructing a sense of happiness and well-being for us that we're mm. working on all the time I thought that was yeah. great yes yeah. thanks Andrea yeah what about you Chris for me it was the bit about accents which really really interested me particularly when he was talking about um developing the the, the voiceover machine for Lee um and how important accents are, and I'm really, I'm really glad he was sort of flying the flag for the Geordie accent because it, it, it is the sound of the Geordie accent makes me really happy. But partly, it's it's knowing that I'm I'm home, 
I, I don't I, I don't sound like a Geordie, but you know that's that's kind of how a class home is 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 that. Um, but how important that identity is to people's happiness mm-hmm. as well. And it, it reminded me of um, the news, the story that I heard about um, Professor Stephen Hawking, because uh, obviously he had a, he had a voice synthesizer, um, and he was offered at one point, you know, this this kind of robust, robotic voice. You know, that's that's from that's old technology. We could do you. Um, you know, a, a much a much more modern sounding voice, uh, much much clearer, and he turned it down mm. because the the sound of the more robotic voice was his voice. That's what people recognised. That's how he recognised himself, and yeah. you know, it just kind of really made me think how, how fundamental that is to kind of your sense of self and identity, and how important that is for your for your well being. So mm. yeah, I, I, let's let's fly the flag for the Geordie accent. I think it's a it's a great thing. It's interesting, isn't it, how you n- not many people like the sound of their own voice, mm. and, and to 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 choose a voice. That's it. it's just incredible. Yeah, and and to, to to do a job where you are sort of listening to yourself all the time. And it's funny. Did you notice uh, how the the whole kind of tone of his voice changed when he kind of slipped into that voiceover mode? Yeah, yeah. For, for like <laughs> a split second, it was all of a sudden kind of very deep and resonant and. Uh, and then he was sort of back to back to normal, back to normal Dan. It was you know very very talented, skilled mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, I agree. Isn't it amazing how people can can be skilled in one area and then be skilled in something so absolutely totally different? Mm. <laughs> well, we've had we've had two episodes. Like you used the word polymath last time, Kath. Yeah. You're people that you know. I, I'm a life. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a lifeboat coxswain, and uh, I'm an artist. I'm an astrologer. Sorry, not an astrologer. Astronomer. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and, and a voiceover artist. I mean, how, how kind of random? But it's, yeah, people are great, aren't they? It's just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, everybody, and thank you, Dan, for another wonderful interview. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidestohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the North East through this podcast thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle Covid Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. We've reached the end of another episode and we hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guide to Happiness so far. We're taking a short summer break over August, but we'll be back soon with more interviews and conversations about happiness. So take care and see you all again soon for another episode. Mm